It's good to have you guys here this morning. Glad to be worshiping with you and excited to be diving into God's Word with you as well. Man, I just, I just love hearing God's people worship. Last night, I was over at my parents' house and was driving my boys home, and my son Micah, three years old, was belting out some Mercy Me songs that we were listening to at the top of his lungs. Didn't know half the words, but was still just excited to sing them, and man, it brought, it brought joy to my heart. And so I, I told him when I got home, I said, Micah, it really makes daddy's heart happy when you sing songs like that. And, and he wanted to know why, and so I told him, like, it's just, it's just neat to hear him, even at that young age, just singing and worshiping. Well, this morning, we're taking a look at words. And as I looked at our passage this morning, a story that my dad told me, uh, I had to recount for you this morning. So we had a foreign exchange student staying at our house. And she was from Slovakia and was here going to high school. And after a couple years being here, she, she moved back to Slovakia to, to finish out her senior year of high school. And if you've switched schools before or even just gone through the process of going from high school to college, like, there's paperwork to be done and there's a little bit of a jumble. And, you know, it's a, it's a challenge making sure you've got all the papers that you need. But I'm sure it's, it's nothing compared to this process that, that she went through. So to... The school in Slovakia wouldn't let her start taking classes until they got her transcript. To get her transcript was quite an ordeal. So first she had to get an official transcript from the school signed by the school registrar. Then she had to have a notary verify the signature of the registrar. Then she had to take the transcript to the office of the Santa Clara County clerk who had to verify that the notary's seal and signature. Then she had to take the transcript to San Francisco to the office of the Secretary of State of California, where they verified the Santa Clara County clerk's seal and signature. And my dad pointed out to me that this happened. They were at the Secretary of State's office September 11, 2001, just before the towers were hit. So... Thankfully, they were there at that time. Otherwise, the offices shut down shortly after they left uh, and were shut down for quite a while. Then they had to mail that out to Colin Powell, who at the time was the Secretary of the State of the United States, and he had to verify the signature and seal of the Secretary of State of California. Then from there, it went to the the Slovakian ambassador to the U.S., and he had to verify Colin Powell's signature and seal. Then, from there, it went to an official translator so that they could get an official, validated, notarized translation of the transcript. And then, finally, after that, she could start school. In my eyes, this is the adult version of cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, eat a horse manure pie. And just a reflection of, you know what? I don't trust your words one ounce. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm sure you're anxious to see how that connects to our passage. Open it up to James chapter 5. 
James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's one near you, hopefully in the seat pocket in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at all, feel free to take that Bible and take it home. That's our gift to you. But we are in James chapter 5 this morning, and we're looking at verse 12. And it says this, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. You see, the people that James was writing to clearly didn't trust each other. And so there was this need for them to have to swear or, or give an oath or a, an I promise beyond their yes or beyond their no. And so their words did not carry a lot of value. And so what we're going to look at this morning is just how to make our words have value and what gives words value. Let's pray. God, thank you for your words. God, words that we know are, are consistent and sure and right. God, that we can turn to when we're out of words. God, let us hear your truth this morning. Something that convicts us and something that challenges us to run ever closer to you. Thank you so much for this opportunity and for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me just give, uh, first of all, a little bit of history uh, to this passage. Uh, because James is actually quoting Jesus. Uh, Jesus brought up uh, this, this same phrase uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Um, and he said this. He's uh, teaching the Sermon on the Mount where he's looking at uh, a lot of the law that the Jews had been taught and saying, okay, guys, you are living the letter of the law, but you're missing the spirit behind that law. And so let me point you to the spirit of the law. And so he says over and over, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. He's clarifying, look, you've heard that it was said. This is what the law says. This is what you've been taught. But rather, here's the deeper meaning behind it. And here's how you're totally missing what this word, what this law is all about. And so he's doing that exact thing in this passage, uh, starting in Matthew 5, verse 33. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply at your, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. See, the Jews were, were following the letter of the law. And what the law had told them was that you could not swear by God or swear by God's name. And so they didn't. Rather, they sweared by heaven or they sweared by earth or they sweared by Jerusalem. They sweared by all these other things instead of swearing by God himself. And they were trying to, to get away with, you know, well, I'm, I'm still obeying the letter of the law. 
and totally missing the spirit of it. In fact, Jesus calls this out uh, to them in another passage in Matthew. He says this in Matthew chapter 23. He's again talking to uh, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He says, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. You better take your words seriously. You better realize, Jesus is saying to them, when you swear what you're swearing by. Don't mess around. He's calling them out and pointing to them that their swearing, even though they're trying to live by the letter of the law, is still totally missing the spirit of the law. And he takes them and says, look, just stop swearing altogether. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, your words should have value. See, the reason that they had to swear in the first place was because when they said yes, or when they said no, the people that they were talking to didn't believe them. And so they needed an extra oomph behind that yes, or behind that no. I swear. And so their words, their actual words, had no value. And so what we're going to look at is this question of what gives words value this morning. There's a lot of words here, a lot of buzzwords uh, you know, that we toss around a lot. Promise, yes, no, absolutely, probably, maybe. Let's take a look at our words this morning and just go, man, how am I doing? Am I giving my words value or am I totally missing the boat? So what gives words value? First of all, time. If... Uh, I hope you each got a little uh, sheet this morning. You've got some room to, to write in some notes. And uh, I'm going to look at six different things that, gives word, that give words value. This is not an exhaustive list, um, but uh, just six different things that I've noticed uh, from the scriptures and from my own life, six different things that give words value. First of all, time. And I want to point out that, that time is not a factor in and of itself, but um, it's necessary and it's connected to all the other things that I'm going to mention this morning. Uh, if you uh, are a liar and you want to have your words be given more value and you just give it time, you know what? I'm just going to keep on lying and hopefully people will start believing me at some point. Like that's obviously pointless. Time in and of itself is not going to give your words value, but rather it's time connected with a lot of these other things. But it's important to start with that, just to remember that as we talk about these different things, uh, your, the value of your words, the value of my words are not going to change overnight, uh, but rather it takes time in investing in all this uh, to give our words value. But um, uh, we've been going, as we've been going through James, we, uh, we've been using this like cowboy rustic theme and we've been sharing uh, cowboysdoms each, each week or cowboy wisdom. And our, and our cowboysdom for this week is if you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, uh, try ordering somebody else's dog around. 
good luck with that. <laughs> the whole point of, uh, of this is, is just illustrating this idea that the value of your words develop over time um, because they're consistent. You know, the, the dog listens to uh, his owner because he knows his owner's voice, because he's been continually listening to his owner, because his owner has taken time and trained him and, and, uh, and, and helped him learn these different commands. And so somebody else steps in and tries to order this, this dog around, and the dog's like, well, who the heck are you? Why am I going to listen to you? Your words have no value to me. In fact, Jesus says this, this same idea in John chapter 10. He says that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And there's this relationship there. But that's developed over time. We get to know God's voice more the more we interact with him, the more we spend time with him. And then our relationship is that much stronger. But it takes time. It takes time to come to trust. It takes time to come to know God's voice and to be able to hear it. So that's our first one, time. First thing that gives words value. Next, care. Care gives words value. Uh, Dave talked last week about the Lord's coming. And one of the points he tossed out is that Jesus is coming soon. And often we can forget that and just get in, uh, you know, the throes of things, just continuing on with life and um, just doing and living. And we forget that Jesus is coming soon. And so with that, uh, I want us to realize this morning that our, we have a limited supply of words. We don't just have as many as we want. How many of you guys here like Jelly Belly Belly Flops? Belly Flop fans? All right, most of you. Excellent. If your hand's not up, I'll give you some, and you will become a fan. Um, I love Jelly Bellies, uh, but I mostly love the Belly Flops because they taste exactly the same as the other ones, and they're a whole lot cheaper. Uh, they just are in weird shapes. Um, but man, I, I love eating these Belly Flops. And, and the problem is is that I'll buy one of these bags, and belly flops come in two-pound bags. That's a whole lot of jelly beans. So I open up these bags, and uh, I usually dump them into some sort of container, and I'm looking at that, and I go, man, I got a lot of jelly beans right here. And I just start pounding down, not even thinking, you know, just grabbing fistfuls and shoving them in my mouth, and oh, man, like I love these jelly beans, and just enjoying them. And, um, and then I start to get down to the end. And yes, sometimes it happens in one sitting, I'll admit it. Um, but uh, I start to get down near the end of my, my jelly bellies. And I, and I start eating them differently. I start eating them one at a time. And I start thinking about, okay, which ones am I going to save for the last? Because these ones are my favorite and I want to enjoy them last. You know? And so I'll eat some of these other ones first. And I start becoming strategic with how I preserve my jelly beans and how I consume them, and how I use them. And isn't that exactly how we use our words? You know, we're, we all have this mindset sometimes, like, you know, without even thinking that we have a limited supply, and we just use our words. 
Like we've got all the words in the world and all the time in the world to say the things that we need to say and we just kind of let it go and just talk. But then we get closer to the end of our life. And I've seen this in, in friends, in family members who are close to the end. We hang on their every word because we know that, man, these might be the last words that they say to me. And they're so much more careful with their words because they realize, man, these might be the last words that I say. They've got this totally different mindset and all of a sudden they're using their words completely differently because they realize, I've got a limited supply. And maybe if we start thinking that way, even now, we'll be wiser with our words, realizing, hey, I've got a limited supply. You know, I I never know when my time is up. We never know when Jesus is coming back. So being wise with our words and being careful to, to keep things right with those that we love, you know, to say the things that we need to say and make those relationships right. Last year, I read through the book of Proverbs 12 times as uh, my, my daily quiet time. That was part of my daily quiet time is reading a proverb every day. And uh, as I read it, you know, I just saw more and more just this wisdom of how to be careful with your words that Solomon and the other writers speak to. And uh, so I'm going to be sharing a lot of proverbs with you today. And uh, here's some that uh, if you're taking notes, you can write them down and uh, I'll read them to you. And if you want to look them up at home or follow along as we go, that's that's great. Uh, but Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 12.18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So to be careful to not be reckless with your words, but rather be, be wise with everything that you say. Proverbs 17.27a says that a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. And this is something that I continue to have to be reminded of. Because I'm a talker, and I just go. And I need to be more careful with my words. I need to be uh, more restrained with my words. And finally, Proverbs 25.11 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. When I was in college, I was in a small group with a few other guys. And there was one guy in our small group that didn't really say a lot. But when he did, when he opened his mouth, he uttered such wisdom that we really started dialing in, that we really started paying attention. And so as we'd be sitting in a small group and talking about this or talking about that, uh, as soon as we saw him start to speak, the room just got silent, and we all waited. See, his words had value because he was careful with them, and he was wise with them. And we couldn't wait to hear what he had to say. He just waited for the right time to say something and was sure of his words when he spoke. See, like I mentioned before, this is something that takes time. This takes time to develop, to be careful with your words. 
especially if you're like me and just run your mouth a lot. But the things you take care of are the things that people trust you with. Think about that. The things you take care of are the things that people trust you with. How ready are you to hand over to your car your car to someone who's been in numerous accidents? But if you know that that person is careful, it's a lot easier. The same thing with words. If you know that someone is careful with words, you're that much quicker to trust them when they start to speak. So that's number two, is care. Number three, consistency. Consistency. And there's two different uh, parts of consistency that I wanted to point out this morning. Uh, First of all is consistent follow-through. So consistency in the ways of I say something and then I follow through with it. This I learned from my dad in spades. The man is consistent with his words. From a very young age, I learned, Ben, your word is your bond. So if you say something, you'd better do it. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you'd better be there. If you say, if you're committing to something, you'd better follow through with that commitment. And uh, he lived it out. I know for sure when my dad says he's going to be somewhere at 5 o'clock, He's going to be there five minutes early. I know that. When he says, when I ask him, hey, can you do this for me? I know with beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is going to do it. Or if he can't for some reason, he's going to call me days in advance and say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you. But when he says something, he follows through with it, always. And it eliminates the need for him to use the word, I promise. If you know that someone is consistent with their words, they don't need to follow with an I promise. And if you start saying, you know what, I want to be one of those people as well. I want to be one of those consistent people. Start following through with your words. And then you won't have to say, I promise. Because people will know, hey, when he says yes, he means it. So not only consistent follow through, uh, but consistent in the ideas of integrity and always being the same regardless of the situation. If you've ever worked with kids or have had more than one child, you know this in spades. See, uh, we've got the same pair of pajamas, not only because they look cute, but then that way they can't argue over who gets to wear the monster pajamas. But they both get, you know, they both get the monster pajamas. At my house, uh, we have, the, the boys love playing with bats. We have two. We learned that very quickly we needed more than one. Because when one had the bat, guess what the other one wanted? And they would bicker and fight. So we got two bats. So that way, they could both walk around with a bat in hand. And then that way, there was no bickering and no fighting. But beyond that, children are smart and able to pick up on when you as a parent or you as a teacher are are saying one thing to one and saying something else to another. Why didn't he get punished? We both did the same thing. Or why did you say that to him, but you didn't say that to me? They can pick up on it. 
but you don't need to have worked with kids or, or, or have kids to get this idea. Are you the same person saying the same kind of things at home that you are at work? Are you the same person when you show up for church on Sunday morning as you are when you're hanging out with your friends? Are you consistent? Are you a person of integrity? I got a couple verses for this as well. Proverbs 10.9 says, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. And Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. See, people will figure it out. You can try to keep things in your different compartments, like I'm this person at work, and I'm this person at home, and I'm this person at church. And... But then all of a sudden, one of your coworkers shows up at church. Or you invite you know, one of your friends from church over to your house for lunch. They go, whoa, totally different person. There's a disconnect. And they'll pick up on it. Rather, commit now to being consistent across the board. I love this story that I came across uh, <clears throat> about pro racquetball. You guys all follow pro racquetball, right? You know, totally. You know, the uh, I don't know what the teams are. Whatever. I don't even know if there are teams. Um, Ruben Gonzalez was in the final match of a pro racquetball tournament. In the fourth and final game at match point, Gonzalez made a super kill shot into the front wall to win the game. The referee called it good. Two linesmen affirmed that the shot was in. But Gonzalez, after a moment's hesitation, turned around, shook his opponent's hand, and declared that his shot had hit the floor first. As a result, he lost the match and walked off the court. Everybody was stunned. They couldn't believe that a player with everything officially in his favor, with victory at hand, disqualified himself at match point and lost. When asked why he did it, Ruben said, it was the only thing that I could do to maintain my integrity. I could always win another match, but I could never regain my lost integrity. I think that speaks volumes just to what it looks like to be a person of integrity, to be so passionate about being consistent with your words across the board that you call out your own mistakes and say, look, no, that's not right. That's not me. That's not who I am. Consistency is one more thing that gives words value. And you come to trust people when they're consistent. So be consistent with your words. Number four, truthfulness. Truthfulness gives words value. Back to James 5, verse 12, it says, Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Not let your yes be no, not let your no be yes, but be truthful with what you say. I love my little boy Micah, uh, but he's having a hard time with truth right now. And uh, this came up yesterday. Uh, I, I came out and... Uh, the little black knobs to our lamps that, that turn them on and off were gone. And uh, so I asked Micah if he had taken them off, and he said that he did. 
And I said, well, where are they? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, you'd better start looking for them because we might have to buy some new lamps. Um, and so he starts looking around. And uh, after a little while, he started getting frustrated with the fact that he was having to look for these black knobs. And uh, so he asked me, Dad, why, why am I looking for these black knobs? And I said, well, who took them off of the lamp? And uh, he says, I don't know. I said, let's try that again. Who took the black knobs off the lamp? And he said, Gaby did. <laughs> I'm like, boy, you got two strikes against you. Number one, you already told me that you took the knobs off the lamp. <laughs> and number two, the lamps are not in places that Gabriel can reach. So guess what? It had to be you. <laughs> and I was so frustrated, like, Boy, just tell me the truth. Just tell me the truth. Because he, uh, I mean, before he had this problem too, even before Gabriel was around, but he only had mom and dad to try to pawn things off on. And uh, we knew that we didn't do them, but now he's excited that he's got this little brother who can't speak up for himself and tries to pawn stuff off onto him. But uh, boy, it grieves my heart. Because I want him to understand more than anything else to be truthful. You know, sure, like, you make stupid mistakes, you, 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 you make bad choices, but at least be honest with me about it because I want to trust your words. And I'm trying to communicate to him right now that because of his actions, because of the way that he is, I can't trust his words. And it hurts. See, God uh, has blessed me with the ability to not lie. Um, I can try, but every time I do, a smile starts coming over my face or something like that, and people can instantly tell that, uh, that I'm, I'm lying. Um, I can't get away with it. But for me, uh, the, the struggles with truthfulness come in smaller ways. Like uh, when I send a text saying, I'm on my way when I'm not yet on my way, or I'll, I'll be there real soon when I know I probably won't, and I'll make up something about, oh, traffic or this or that, and it's just horrible. But I realized, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm losing value for my words, you know, when I'm trying to tell people, yeah, I'll be there, and I'm not, and then they don't trust me. See, lying just continues to dig a hole that, that ever gets deeper. And, you know, as you lie, you have to cover up your lies with, with other lies. Um, these two guys um, had a final coming up in one of their classes. And uh, the day before the final, they were going to go and study together. Uh, but they found out there was this awesome party going on. And so they said, you know what? We're going to the party. And uh, so off they go to the party and uh, they decide, you know, they conspire together. All right, we're going to tell the teacher that, you know, we were on our way to the library and, and we got a flat tire. And so that's why we, we couldn't study. I'm like, great, you know, sounds good. All right, so they show up and uh, they tell the teacher, yeah, we were on our way to the library. We got a flat tire. We just, you know, we couldn't make it. We were just stuck. And, um, yeah, so we couldn't study last night. So can you give us an extension? And the teacher very quickly was like, absolutely. You know, yeah, study tonight and, and come back tomorrow, and I'll give you the test then. 
So they show up the, the next day for, for the test, and they're instantly put in two separate rooms. And uh, they sit down to take the test, and uh, on the first page was, was a question that was fairly simple and worth one of the 100 points of the test. They're like, oh, okay, this isn't that bad. And they turn the page over, and there was one more question on the test worth 99 points. Which tire was the flat one? Gotcha. <laughs> They're called out very quickly. <laughs> but see, it was just the whole notion of lying in the first place that got them into that mess. Their words didn't have any value because they weren't consistently truthful. This, uh, the word speaks to this as well. It says in Proverbs 21.6, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. In Ephesians 4.25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. If we can't be honest with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, then my goodness, there's something wrong. We need to be honest with, with, with those that we are one body with. Let's commit to, to let this be a place where honesty is valued. Now, this uh, number five that gives words value is, is definitely connected with number four. Love. What gives words value is love. Is love behind the words that are spoken. See, I know some people that are really good at being truthful, but have a challenge with connecting that with love. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you very honestly what I have to say. And, uh, you know, if I mow over you while I say that, well, so be it. What is behind the words that are being spoken? As you speak, are you speaking words for their benefit or for yours. Proverbs 27.6 says that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If, if I'm getting hurt by the things that something, someone is saying to me, but I know that they're saying this because they love me and because they care about me, I listen. I pay attention. Because I know that there's love behind it. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth because we care about the other person. We speak the truth because we want their best. We want their benefit. And this was something that was challenging to me this weekend as Micah made his bad choices and did his foolish things, I had to be reminded, hey, as I'm speaking the truth to him, as I'm telling him what he did wrong and giving him his punishment, I've got to remember to put love behind it, to speak that truth to him, but to tell it that to him because I care about him, not because I know I'm right and he's wrong. In fact, we look at Paul's letters in the New Testament and he says some pretty brutal things to the people that he's writing to. 
but you cannot miss his love for the people that he writes to. Over and over again, he communicates this idea. In the book of Galatians, which is one of just the harshest books that he wrote, you can still see his love for the people of Galatia. It's there. He writes and these, these tough messages because he cares about them and wants to see them draw closer to Christ. John does the same thing in 1 John 5.13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes to point them to Christ. And whatever comes across in John's letter, that's the purpose behind it, is love for them. And Jesus says the same thing to his disciples right as he's uh, about to be arrested and crucified. He says in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Such a great reminder from our Lord and Savior that the things that he tells us, he tells us for our benefit. There's love behind it. And see, we can tell the difference. I was driving somewhere with a couple of friends, and I was fairly confident of how to get there. But there was uh, someone in the back who, you know, I kind of knew, but wasn't really good friends with. And uh, this person was, was constantly telling me, no, you're going the wrong way. Uh, you got to do this. You got to do that. And um, as we're, we're coming up to this one exit, this friend says, all right, this is the exit you need to take. Get off. I went straight ahead. And we wound up being about an hour late to where we were going because that was the exit needed to take it. But, uh, but I wasn't going to listen to that person, even if he was right. Why? Because there was no love behind that. It was just a bunch of, nope, I'm going to be right. So I'm going to tell you this. You know, and there was this competition going on between us. And there was no love in that conversation. And so... His words had zero value to me because there wasn't love behind it. I paid dearly for it, but, yeah. So put love behind your words. Finally, what gives words value? Purpose. And this is what it's really all about. See, without purpose, I could have given this message at a school, a public school, you know, at some self-help seminar, you know, maybe remove the Bible verses, but given all the same kind of points about how to use your words wisely and how to give your words value. But this point changes everything. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And later in Colossians, Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
see in this life, it's, it's all about Jesus. And if we forget that, we can go in many different directions. But if we continue to remind ourselves of this, our words will look very different. Not only did I have to remind myself this weekend uh, to show love as I spoke to my boy, but more than anything, I had to remind him, or to remind myself, I have to show him Jesus. As I correct him, as I discipline him, and even as I play and hang out with him, I'd better be pointing directly to Jesus. Because nothing else matters but Jesus. And that's something that has been really convicting to me, even just in thinking about my interactions as I go about my day, as I'm at the grocery store, as I'm at the bank, as I'm running around doing my errands, as I'm going to Home Depot and buying new knobs for our lamps. Um, The conversations that I have, are they pointing to Christ? Are they showing the people that I interact with something different? Because they should be. I love this song. And I just wanted to read you the lyrics. This song called, Give Me Jesus. It says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. When I am alone, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You see, Jesus gives our words value. In a way that, you know, we can try and do all these other things. And I hope you go back and look at the other five things that we talked about and say, man, what do I need to work on? I've definitely got my list of different things that I'm trying to challenge myself with and do better at. But it's got to start here. And if you get nothing else this morning, get this idea that when we put Jesus behind our words, when we focus on him as our purpose for speaking, it should change every word that comes out of our mouth. And all the rest will start falling into place as we continue to focus on Jesus. Because without him, or nothing. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for being our King, the one that we can count on. And I ask that you just help us with our words. Help us learn to find value in them. Help us learn to speak wisely. But more than anything, help us point to you. God, please help us keep you on the forefront of our minds so that as we speak to people, you just flow out of that. We need you 
to be everything in our lives. God, enter in as we open up our hearts to you. In Jesus' name.